Hi, I'm Will Ross. And I'm Devin Scott. Today we talked with Jordan Krug and Benji Heron, two fan preservationists, about the blighted history of the good, the bad, and the ugly on home video, and their part in preserving the film as Sergio Leone intended, as well as our own part. Bastardizations and Blu-rays galore today as we talk about one of our very favorite films. It's the director's cut that everyone's talking about. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Welcome to Film Formally. <laughs> time around we're fortunate enough to talk to benji heron glad to be here and jordan krug thanks for having us people who know me and devon will know that we're very passionate about the 1966 spaghetti western the good the bad and the ugly directed by sergio leone it's a film that we've loved since we were kids and as we've grown older and wiser the film has seemed to grow alongside us and it just keeps revealing new depth and complexity over time but our own knowledge and dedication to the film pales in comparison to Benji and Jordan's. Motivated strictly by their love of the film, the two of them have spent countless hours of their free time researching, cataloging, and preserving this movie. So we're going to talk about why the film needs that preservation, what that entailed for Benji and Jordan to do their part in preserving it. And with Kino Lorber's new 4K Blu-ray coming out on April 27th, we're going to kind of spill the beans on how we, and particularly Benji and Jordan, contributed to what looks to be the first ever home video release of the film that accurately presents a Leone-approved cut of the film. So I'm, I'm sure we can all attest from personal experience, this is a difficult subject to know where to start when explaining to the layperson. Benji, for someone who has never heard of this movie... What is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, well, so it's the third of the Dollars trilogy. But if you've, you weren't acquainted to any of the films, it is one of the most breathtaking operatic films to portray the Western. It's a culmination of a fantastic score, very memorable acting, and a plot that is detracts so much from what a typical American Western would be in terms of having your your heroes in white and your villains in black. And instead you're seeing shades of gray in terms of their moral sort of compass. When you're watching the film for the first time, whether you're a fan of it, uh, Westerns or not, it's really just, it, it takes you into a different world. And that's really uh, a tribute to Sergio Leone's talent and passion for creating these films. So Will, I have a question for you. Why, why do you care about this movie? It's good. All that stuff Benji said. It is the kind of film that can really easily capture the imagination of like someone in their early teens, uh, which I was when I first saw it, or I would have been like 12, 13, I think. I care about it a lot because it's just such a meticulously assembled film. You can just pick apart at like any segment of the film and it just keeps on rewarding any amount of scrutiny. Every time I sit down and do a close reading of a scene and or even just a close reading of a particular element of the scene, be it music or editing or whatever, I realize uh, something new that it's accomplishing. To say nothing about there's an incredible depth of narrative there. It's exactly the kind of film you want to discover <laughs> when you're like 12 years old because it's a film that can just stay with you and can just grow up alongside of you. Yeah, I, 
personally, I, I just find it it's such an unlikely masterpiece. If you consider it's an Italian director reinterpreting the Western genre, everything's dubbed. Shooting mostly in Spain, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They had to basically recreate all the props and guns and costumes and research and you know in its day it was considered just disposable pulp his talent was so vast that it has stood the test of time 50 years later people are still talking about this movie and it's i think it's universally considered one of the greatest westerns ever made i discovered the film in maybe the worst possible way well actually (laughs) good and bad um i first saw it because i stumbled upon it uh the last half hour of it on AMC, oh, no. uh, pan and scan, extended cut with the 5.1 channel, which on the TV stereo sounded made half the lines like off screen sound almost inaudible. So it's like, you know, it's a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money. I have to earn it. You know, the final <laughs> dual sequence, um, it even at the age of I think I was f- 14 or 15, um, it blew me away like nothing else. And so I, I looked at my TV guide and was like, when's this movie playing next? Then I got the extended DVD because I didn't know any better. And I just fell in love with that cut of the film and took Will a few years to convince me that the shorter theatrical cut was infinitely better, um, which, you know, I have now seen the light. I don't know if I'd be in film today if not for that movie. My introduction to the film was I was young enough that I had no business (laughs) to be watching a film like this. But something about it, it, you know, was it the music that I heard in the other room? Uh, that drew me into where the television was playing a VHS. It got my attention. I sat down and I started watching this film. Right through to the end where, you know, spoiler alert, but when Tuco's hanging from the noose, you know, for a young kid watching this going, oh my God, is he really going to leave him there? You know, right to the end, it, it just keeps you on the edge of your seat. And since then, with the evolution of technology from VHS or beta to DVDs to Blu-rays and on and on, it's that's what Jordan has already described is where we started to notice, wait a minute, something's changing here with this film. It's a weird experience to see, to realize that the version of the film you saw is not the version you're seeing now and or vice versa, right? Before we talk about any restoration or preservation or ourselves, uh, I think it's good to lay some basic background. Well, it was originally released in Italy in 1966 in a much longer version. United Artists, they financed it, so... It was part of the deal that Leone would be subject to their approval of of whatever version hit U.S. shores. So the Italian version uh, in 66 was approximately uh, 178 minutes. When it was time to release it internationally a year later in 67, United Artists, they wanted to cut it way down. Because it was contractual, Leone obliged them, but... He had a hand in it. He basically supervised the entire cut down, all the new dubbing. Um, they actually had to go back for a few shots, go back to the uh, the original, you know, dailies or negative, and fix scene transitions. So both versions. Leone is the author of both versions. He did create the what we call the international version, uh, which is the shorter cut. It's the cut that I grew up with. It's the cut that Benji grew up with. And over the years, they've mixed and matched those two cuts, and that's where all the problems began. There was a significant but not yet final cut of the film that was shown at, at the film's premiere in Rome. 
Benji, you mentioned seeing the VHS version. Do you, I have never seen a VHS version of the film, nor do I know anything about it or the cuts presented on it. Do we know anything about the VHS versions? Of the, I mean, VHS is such a crazy format to try to figure out what the cuts were on different releases. The VHS was the international cut. Up until the late 90s, the version of the film on North American home video was essentially correct. There was one shot missing, but it, it was the correct international theatrical cut. It's after that, when it started going to DVD, that things started to go awry with the cut. The specific journey this film has taken on home video is tough to even describe without first talking about its initial Italian international cuts. Uh, and kind of vice versa, though, because the initial Italian cut was, as Jordan mentioned, 178 minutes. And then a lot of the material that was cut for the international release was later reinstated for the extended cuts on DVD and Blu-ray, uh, which I will get to, I think, um, and our feelings on that and how they reinstated those to, get an, to give an idea of how kind of confusing and international this film is. Um, it was, in fact, recorded largely in English, except for the side characters, the supporting roles, who essentially the actors spoke their native languages. So even the question of what is the original quote-unquote language of the film is pretty much unanswerable. So you have the, not the initial cut, but the first widely released cut anywhere in the world, the Italian cut. And then you have the 161-minute international cut. That kind of remains stable until the home video releases, or is that not the case? Were there other cuts in the intervening 20-some-odd years? Uh, you know, actually, I think it might be helpful uh, in this case just to sort of break down the history of uh, perhaps Jordan's experience as well, but how I started to identify there being clues of there being something else. Starting with the VHS back in the 80s, that was what we identify as the international cut. From my personal experience, what happened was getting into the teenage years, our family uh, got ourselves a 100-inch projector and a Laserdisc player. So at that point, we technology was evolving and I bought my favorite films uh, on Laserdisc. So one of them being the Clint Eastwood trilogy box set that was released in 1993 that had all three dollars films uh, and watching that and knowing, hey, this is this is what I know. This is the, the cut that I only uh, I only know about. And uh, then DVDs were introduced and got my hands on the trilogy box set the DVD that was released in 1998, I believe. And that was my first uh, exposure to these other scenes, you know, the scenes that were cut out of the international version. And I was like blown away going, oh my, I didn't know there was, <laughs> there was a, a, a other footage of this film. That, and that's what I learned about the Italian cut. So watching that film, there were subtle differences, but not enough for me to sort of clue in and go, wait a minute, there's, there's something wrong here. But over time, and being a fan of the film, and now that we have, internet was available to us, what do fans usually do? They go to a forum or a discussion board where they can discuss their interests, their common interests. And so I discovered the Sergio Leone web board, and Jordan was already a member. And you know, over time, these little nuggets started to sort of come to light. Noticing that, for example, in the Stevens Ranch scene, there were extra shots and going, wait a minute, did anybody else notice this? So you put, you know, put a, a thread up and people start to uh, talk, uh, discuss it. At that point, I was really keen on, on acquiring as many home release versions as I could from around the world. So I could now watch the Italian cut for myself. 
the world has obviously gotten smaller. Being able to to purchase, you know, releases from uh, other markets became easier. So I acquired the CBC DVD that was released in 2000. Watching that, it was great. It didn't matter if it was in Italian. I knew what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I just loved watching it with the extra scenes. And then I noticed, wait a minute. He doesn't say sorry Tuco at the end. <laughs> but uh, but uh, posted that on the web board saying, has anybody else noticed this? Why is that not there? So these, these little pieces here, and you start to notice these differences that may not necessarily be an international versus Italian cut issue. It might have just been with the editing and the way that the films were released on home, you know, on DVD, etc., that uh, we started noticing that there were these little discrepancies here and there. And so it, it just seemed to have gotten, over time, worse and worse with the added layer of color changes, etc. So... Jordan, what's your experience with discovering all this? Because um, your specific uh, blog posts for any listeners that are unaware um, have been kind of a, an incredible guide into the history of this and they're done in incredible detail. Where did you start with this and how did you get to the place when you could correctly identify to the frame and foot number the different cuts of the film? Slightly off topic, but I first noticed that you know there were different versions of these films as a trilogy I had the VHS of for a few dollars more, the old 4x3, and I wore it out, and then they came out with a letterboxed VHS. So I was very excited, I bought it, and one of my favorite moments in the in the film of for a few dollars more is when they introduce uh, Clint Eastwood's character in the first scene, you see him, and he, you know it's in the rain, and the rain's coming down, he's got his head down, he lights a cigar, he lifts his head up, and there's a big thunder crash. And, you know, nowadays it might be a little cliche to do that, but, but I always loved that as a kid. So I got this new VHS, widescreen, oh my gosh, great. I'm watching it. They, they moved it. They moved the thunder crash. It, he lifts his head, nothing happens. And, I, and so that was the first time I realized, like, these things are never locked in place. It just depends on which print you get and who messes with the soundtrack and are they starting with an Italian version or an international version. And as far as the good, the bad, and the ugly goes... Just being somebody who loved the film, a long time ago I was able to find and purchase an original continuity script. And a continuity script is when a studio puts out a film, they have to have a log of every single shot, how long the shot is, what the sound effects are. They, they have essentially a blueprint for the entire print. I had this script and you know again through this leone board started noticing differences and i would and i could say well you know what i have the i have this script that tells me exactly what's supposed to be there and what's not supposed to be there what really kind of sparked this whole uh, adventure with with benji and i is along with the other fans we were not happy with the the newest color correction a group of fans were able to acquire an original 1966 Italian theatrical print and originally it was acquired just for color reference you know let's look at the print and see what the, the color on the print is and in getting scans of this print or images from this print there was a scene on there there was a picture of a scene that we had never seen it hadn't been put out as a deleted scene it wasn't in the extended version it wasn't in the Italian version and so it just sort of started this adventure of what the heck are there things in this movie that are still cut out so even to this day you know, there's no correct Italian version either. Uh, the Italian version that exists on home video right now is actually truncated from its original release. 
these are the kind of things uh, when you start lining things up. I'm an editor, so I can line two things up on a timeline and go shot for shot and go what's supposed to be there, what's not supposed to be there. As an editor, you know, I just really respect the film and I respect Leone's meticulous nature. So I just want the versions that are out there to be his, you know, authored, approved cuts. So, Will, do you think this is a good moment for us to start uh, relitigating every single home video release as to and, and how they diverge from these author-approved cuts? Yeah, as Jordan mentioned earlier, the Laserdisc uh, is pretty close to the international theatrical cut. I think the, the Laserdisc uh, up until hopefully next month is actually the most accurate approximation of the international cut. Really just of some frames missing from from that Laserdisc version. Aside from that, it's actually, really, if you want to watch the international cut, uh, that's at this point, that's the only way you can watch it, other than perhaps a VHS, if, if you're willing to tolerate a, a cropped image. One thing I do think is important to point out about the Laserdisc is that it has mono audio in reasonably good quality, and that the color does not appear to be overly intentionally revisionist, although I also don't trust the color of it at all. Isn't that is just another example where Laserdiscs, generally speaking, are pretty accurate in their colors mm-hmm. in comparison to other more recent releases? Now, like They may have tweaked things and brightened it up a bit for you know, for the old school television screens, uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty good. And the, the audio for the Laserdisc, to this day, is still the best available source for the mono. For the mono, yeah. Absolutely. The 1998 DVD is arguably the best example on hand of a hybrid cut of the film where it uses Italian and international elements, or at least it's using Italian elements to recreate international uh, scenes. As, uh, As Benji said earlier, there's just certain scenes with a little bit more stuff that you wouldn't necessarily consciously notice. Certain scenes are a bit longer. Um, the timing of certain moments is a bit different. And how, how does that happen? The 98 DVD, I think that they either didn't have the elements needed, you know, uh, international cut elements, English elements. Uh, so they went back to either the Italian negative or, you know, a lower generation dupe. And so they basically recreated the international cut using Italian elements, but left in a lot of the minor uh, shot trims or slight differences uh, that occurred, you know, mid-scene in the Italian version. They still cut out all the Italian language-only scenes that they ended up putting back in later. But the strangest thing about the 1998 DVD is the scene where the bandits are approaching Blondie's hotel room, not only did they mix and match certain shots from the Italian, certain shots from the English, but they completely reordered the scene. And it's the only version of the film where that happens. The 98 DVD is not the international cut and it's not the Italian cut. It's this weird hybrid that led to a bigger problem later on, which I'm sure we'll get into. I think now we can talk about the version of the film that I probably spent the most time with when I was a kid, and certainly Devin did, which is the 2004 home video release of the 2003 restoration slash extended cut. So the extended cut is a rough attempt to recreate not the Italian cut of the film, but the Rome premiere cut that I briefly alluded to earlier, 
including a scene that was explicitly cut willingly by Leone from the Italian cut of that film, uh, known as uh, Il Grotto. The trick of the extended cut is that it wasn't really a 100% attempt to exactly match that cut. Um, there, besides there being some different footage available, they released the entire extended cut in English, which of course uh, necessitated recording new audio for scenes that there was no audio dubbed for back in 1966 and 67 in English. They brought in older Clint Eastwood, older Eli Wallach, and they brought in an imitator of Lee Van Cleef. Prescott. To do his voice. The result is, in a sense, its own kind of hybrid of international elements based on the English dub of the film and Italian elements, because there are a number of scenes in the extended cut that are in the Italian cut of the film, along with a little of the extended cut's own mix and matching. And this became not only the most commonly available version of the film at the time, but is to this day probably the most widely seen and available version of the film. I think that's I think that's right, isn't it, guys? No, that's that's right. Like if you if you go on Netflix right now, that's the version that's on Netflix. If you go on Amazon Prime to rent it or buy it, that's the version you'll rent or or buy. Yeah, unless you're a physical media holdout, you. We'll only see that. I, even Devin and I saw a 35 millimeter print of the film a few years ago, and uh, we were hoping that it would be not the extended cut. And uh, unfortunately, it was. This is kind of, I think if there's an original sin to our mess that we're in right now, it's this extended cut. This cut, again, produced by MGM. The extended scenes don't really work i think i think they hurt the film especially the grotto scene which in it's the weakest scene i think by a wide margin in any version of the movie it's a completely redundant moment that uh, is there to explain a plot beat that is self-explanatory um it's poorly written at least the dialogue that they used in the 2003 restoration is poorly written um this is the one time i'm going to get real fire and brimstone on everything um it's uh this cut is a disaster and that's not even getting into the 5.1 mix they did for it well and then there's the music too they use incorrect um probably because they didn't have i mean the the history of the recordings of the good the bad and the ugly score is uh, is fraught to say the least but they they probably didn't have access to the uh original recordings of uh of the score which means that there are several moments in the extended scenes where the music just does not match. One musical cue starts up and it's just the exact it's just the beginning of the exact same musical cue we just heard. It just results in an, an extremely messy cut that I think crosses the line from interesting curiosity to active damage to the film's legacy. Yeah, I mean it's very similar to the the whole example of Star Wars you know, the special editions, except that in those cases, the author came back and revised his own work. Here's, here's a case where the author is long dead and they're putting out a version of the film that we don't, we can't, we can't know that he would have yayed or nayed it, but we can assume that he would have just wanted them to put out, you know, if they had done an extended version that was completely faithful to the Italian cut, maybe, maybe we would accept it more. But it's this weird hodgepodge kind of mess. Yeah, it's tough to say what Sergio Leone would have, would he, would he have approved of it or not? I can understand, and I, I do appreciate MGM's attempt to recreate in English language 
the Italian cut. They refer to it as the extended English language edition uh, on the DVD and Blu-ray. But if you read uh, Glenn Erickson, a.k.a. DVD Savant's blog, he actually provides some really uh, uh, helpful insights into the history of MGM's attempt to recreate the, the longer version. Obviously, in 1998, they identified that there was this longer version with these scenes that were not uh, present in the international cut. They didn't have the soundtrack because it wasn't recorded, uh, but there was an intention to to go uh, to proceed with the longer version, so recreating that. But they didn't have the budget and, and resources at the time. Eventually, it got the green light. So at that time, I was really interested and excited about it. And I can understand your feelings about how it just it left much to be desired in terms of execution, which it did. But what I find striking more recently is, you know, on, for example, on Blu-ray Forum, how many people actually prefer that version over the international cut. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that, you know, now we have this version that's been around for nearly 20 years um, and new generations have been only introduced to that particular version. That's the one that they they know. And so I can understand that sentiment. However, I was also in that position. I felt I, there was a time where I felt more is better. I don't care how poorly it was executed. I'm just glad to be able to watch this. Yeah, I was but, the same way. Yeah, but that changed, right? Like, I, I think uh, deep down inside, I did still recognize that the international cut being slightly tighter, uh, it really just was a superior version. Uh, certainly, it helps to know that Sergio Leone had his hand in it. He may have not necessarily considered it to be the superior or better version. He, his preferred version, I think, the what we know is clearly the, the longer version, the Italian cut. Now, in this, uh, where we where we stand now with this particular, uh, you know, the opportunity to see the international cut now on home release again, I'm happy to, that that's going to happen. However, I'm surprised at how many people out there are not happy about it. Which is it's bizarre to me because I mean I wouldn't be so down on the extended cut if it wasn't for the fact that it was the overwhelmingly available version. And that uh, in the wake of its release, there was no attempt to put out the international cut alongside it. And that's a common refrain in our podcast, actually, is the whole idea that I think you and I, Will, are pretty okay with revisionism as long as it doesn't supplant the historically significant version, uh, you know, authorial version that can get messy. But, you know, there are some cases where even though it does get messy, there are some clear lines to be drawn. And I think like changing Sergio Leone's decisions um, from beyond the grave and then having that be the only version available in, in the English language is probably crossing some lines. Yeah, I, I agree, though, Benji, that it is it is important to bear in mind that for many people who watch this new 4K Blu-ray or for many people who bought the 2017 Blu-ray, it was their first time seeing a version of the film that was not the extended cut and that if you're particularly familiar with uh, the film in the extended element and that is the basis of many of your memories of the film especially uh, then that could be very jarring alongside I think there are good faith arguments uh, that people can make for the inclusion of uh, a lot of the scenes in the uh, in the extended cut you could argue that Leone having to look at the film again a year later after he released it and make some hard decisions on on stuff that was superfluous to the to the edit 
improve the film because he had a second chance to go back and mess with it again. I prefer the shorter cut, even though I love the movie and I love seeing all the extra stuff. I think the film just flows better as a shorter version. So alongside the extended cut, they did a full 5.1 remix using the mono audio as a baseline. This remix featured some heavily revisionist elements, right? Uh, As you mentioned, uh, they used the wrong audio cues for it. But there's also certain ticks that they introduced with stereo panning, and they essentially uh, replaced as much fully as they could reasonably replace, including, for example, the iconic gunshot sound. Replaced with a far more contemporary circa 2003 sounding gunshot sound. Same with cannons. Um, same with a lot of other Foley. Uh, anytime anyone is off screen and speaks, they pan it to one of the rear surrounds. Uh, which results in some really interesting uh, lines where the first half of a line will sound like you would expect in the center channel. And then they'll continue behind you. Uh, which is, I think, in any context, most sound mixers don't actually mix that way, even in 5.1. The choices of the sound mix do follow a logic, which if you were to say, I want to create a 5.1 mix of the good, the bad, and the ugly, then uh, several of the choices flow naturally. For example, the gunshots, uh, it seems likely that in order to uh, mix the gunshots to their own discrete channel, rather than just have it in all channels at once, they likely needed to incorporate a new sound for that. In the case of the panning, that is, uh, voices are panned uh, to the left or to the right and off screen, um, the convention in mixing for surround uh, setups is that you'll put your dialogue right in the front center. Um, The reason for this is because even if Physically, we may be aware that someone is spatially behind us, theoretically. Um, It's very disorienting for a conversation to flip around the room that way over its course. On the other hand, I also understand the logic of moving stuff around in 5.1 and the appeal of uh, the what if of so thoroughly spatializing a film's soundtrack and dialogue. So regardless of whether you like or dislike those changes, they do at least follow a certain logic. And the same can be said of a lot of these um, preservations and restorations where you, you can see the logic behind them. The extended edition will persist. And it's likely at some point, if there's enough demand that one of the, if there's going to be another physical uh, release of this film, it will come out. The debate about which cut is superior, I think, is not necessarily the most relevant thing to be for everybody to be concerned about. I think it's best just to to uh, consider the the history of the film. You know, boiling it down, there were two versions, right? We have the Italian cut and the international cut. For reasons that we all have sort of discussed in terms of you know dialogue of older characters, actors coming in and, and, and filling in the patches, it, it just didn't work out. And I feel that at this point, one should recognize that the Italian cut was in Italian. You know, if you want a, a version that you uh, would like to watch that's English friendly, perhaps watch it with subtitles. And rec- also recognize that there's an international cut that was originally intended for our market. And you can watch that. And for those who just are not agreeable, you, you, the extended edition is, is readily available. 
Several years later, another Blu-ray came out based on a full digital 4K restoration of the film. It was co-financed between MGM and the Italian rights holders, and it was executed by uh, an Italian restoration house, uh, Ritrovada. It is a major improvement in a lot of respects, uh, contrast, detail, grain structure of the 2014 Blu-ray, I think it's safe to say none of us have major issues with. In those regards. Yeah. yeah. However, there were uh, certain issues with color. More specifically, uh, the entire film or almost the entire film uh, appeared to have been pushed very yellow, um, especially the highlights uh, were very yellow. Yeah, a little kind of to fill that in a little, um, that restoration facility, Retrovada, um, has developed something of a reputation for doing very, very technically high quality restorations, but they have some uh, color grading characteristics that kind of run through a lot of their uh, restorations. And that involves a kind of um, orange highlight, slightly blue midtone look. Um, and this can be seen on a great many of the releases. We actually talked about this on our season premiere for this season. And and uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is no exception with that. However, not the whole film is has been pushed that way. There are certain specific scenes, like the scene after the battle scene where Tuco and Blondie wake up, uh, that has been pushed quite blue, much more blue than any previous version. Um, a lot of the nighttime scenes are pushed significantly more blue. So there's clearly been some scene-by-scene nudging there that um, probably doesn't resemble any previous version um even though i full disclosure i personally find those uh color watches quite aesthetically pleasing despite uh any historical um issues with them but yeah there's definitely been some nudging there well any anytime you go back to the negative you start from scratch Mm -hmm. so what they've done is a subjective color grade they've they've applied an aesthetic to it that is uh it's somebody's taste but it's not really reflective of how the film has existed all these years, uh, which is in sort of a, I guess you could call it sort of a neutral neutral grade where, you know, skies are blue, teeth are white. The, the spaghetti questions in general, depending on if it's stock or prints, they all have a sort of tan, yellowish, westerny sort of aesthetic. Uh, it's sort of, it could be the technoscope uh stock or but yeah they basically just took it way too far uh in in the in you know in the eyes of the fans who had grown grown up with this more neutral yes yeah, it strayed so much far from what we were used to i guess but there were also clues that something's just not right here uh, with the, the skies being overly teal in some shots i'm reminded of this scene where tuco catches up to blondie when Shorty's about to be hanged, and uh, you look at at uh, Clint Eastwood's teeth, and they're they're green, and it's like this is just too much, right? Like this, there's something going on here. And again, you know, when a, anytime there's a new release, especially for this film, there's heated debate, and uh, those who were you know shouting that this is wrong, that there's something wrong here, what are they doing? They're taking liberties with this film and it's making it look like a Martian movie. Uh, and those who defended it were saying that, well, it was approved by the assistant cameraman, Sergio Salvati. Right? And uh, so, you know, on both, both sides, you, you, there, there's this debate about what's right or wrong. 
And so that's where we embarked on our little journey of trying to figure out if there's a more concrete way to, to figure out what this film actually looked like in theaters way back in the 60s. And I, I want to say, though, too, that um, if anyone from Rich Rivada is listening to this, we'd love to have you on the show to hear about kind of how that look has developed, because um, I actually happen to have just watched another Rich Rivada restoration last night, um, which is uh, the Claude Chabrol film, La Ceremony, and everything, we could lift this conversation and be talking about that exact movie green teeth green eyeballs and i'm wondering why do virtually all of these restorations from this period especially the mid 2010s from this one house look so similar um, it's very very interesting to me um, going back to the the first italian restoration done in 2000 that was actually su- uh, supervised by the cinematographer uh, tonino delicoli and the interesting thing about the color debate is you have a version done in 2000 by the Italians from the original cinematographer. And that version, if you look at the DVD, uh, I'm sure if you look at the prints, it looks very similar to the version we all grew up with, sort of neutral color color palette. So it it always surprised me that in 2014 they said, oh, no, 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 the the color's been wrong all along. Uh, It's supposed to be green, yellow. When you had this version supervised by the original cinematographer, that looks like the version that we all know and love. This color grade has become the basis for multiple releases since then, too. Um, and that includes the 2017 uh, released by Kino Lorber, in which is the subject of significant controversy within, within the community because um, they attempted to correct this Richard Vada grade by adding um, essentially a linear amount of blue to the image, um, which led to new problems. So... Uh, basically, color grading time here. Ritrovada didn't just add yellow. Um, they applied a very complex set of color decisions to the footage um, that it's it's like a stain that doesn't wash out. Uh, so if one just adds blue to these images, um, you might neutralize the skies, but the shadows are going to turn blue in a way that certainly does not reflect the original film. So the 2017 Kino release, which we can talk about that maybe as well has a color palette that almost applies a certain set of revisions to an already revisionist palette which leads to some very interesting images yeah i think kino in 2017 uh, you know it was all in good faith they were Mm -hmm. trying to listen to the fans Uh, since 2014 it sort of had become universally apparent that nobody liked this green yellow blue tint to the entire film in, in a modern film, I don't have a problem with that kind of, that kind of color grading because that's a, that's a choice that goes along with the presentation of the movie. But when you're doing it to something that never looked like that, it, 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 it just smacks of revisionism. So that brings up uh, maybe just to back up a bit. With, that, with the 2014 MGM Blu-ray release, when we started to see this heavy push of yellow-green, those of us who uh, were hoping to see something different. Instead, it went sort of more extreme away from what we our expectations and hopes. We embarked on this, this project to, to try to figure out what it really looked like. And so part of that was to try to acquire 35 millimeter prints, vintage prints from 1966, 1967. So there's a small community where who had the means and know-how to be able to help us with that. So around 2015, Quentin Tarantino's personal print of The Good, The Bad, The Ugly was going to be screened at the New Beverly in L.A. It was the 
the perfect opportunity for me to actually see what it really looked like, bar being uh, using a xenon bulb instead of arc light uh, projection. I booked a ticket and flew down there in a 24-hour whirlwind round trip and watched this film. Up until that point, I had my own sort of expectations of what it would look like, uh, you know, based on the, the, the ongoing debates on the online forums and our own personal sort of history with the film. It, it really, it, it sort of boiled down to what the sky colors look like with a lot of the debate. And uh, when I sat down, I in the dark, I had a scratch pad and a, and a pen and just started to take notes during this two and a half hour screening. Did I had no idea if it'd be legible, but I just started writing. But as if right from the opening credits, I started to, that this blew me away because it was, I was seeing something unexpected. You know, the white background is a bit more warm white. The credits had the orange instead of the red that you see with the, the horse, the panning shot. And I just thought, wait a minute, this is really something that uh, is different than what I've been used to seeing on home releases. Just kept taking notes, started noticing that skies were more uh, blown out than I expected. And certainly it wasn't a debate about whether it's blue or magenta or green. And as soon as uh, the film ended, I hopped on the bus, went straight to LAX and transcribed those nearly illegible notes uh, on my laptop. And then that was also used as a reference point for us to get a better sense of what this film really looked like back in the 60s. This was prior to your team acquiring prints of the film, I take it? We had actually acquired one print, at least one print at the time, which was the Italian print. Uh, I don't recall, we were actually in the works of, of acquiring a print that was located in Canada of the international cut. Mm. But even so, we had no means to project it and to see what it looked like on screen. So it really, and anyone you would speak to with some experience with this, would say that you really won't know what it looks like until you have it screened. And so that therefore the, the opportunity to go and fly down to LA was really important. So in, uh, so in 2017, Kino Lorber acquired the rights to the film and they announced that they're gonna release uh, the international version, which got fans like me and Benji very excited. They also announced that they're gonna try to fix the 2014 color. Again, got Benji and me very excited. And in the midst of their public media posts uh, on forums and etc., we started to see a, a bit of an issue in that the version that they were going to put out of the international cut was based on the aforementioned 1998 DVD. So while I was happy that they're going to put out a version that's not the extended cut, which we'd sort of grown to dislike, I was of the opinion that if you're going to go back and release the shorter version, why not do it sort of frame accurate to what it was? And I, I think it, it wasn't intentional on their part. They just went to the very last home video release of the international cut as a reference, not knowing that that was that weird hybrid cut. We went back and forth with them a little bit on the forums and sort of tried to explain to them what was happening uh, and how that wasn't a good reference. It was sort of too little, too late. Uh, it got put out, and it had the blue wash that they had tried to apply to fix the color. And the international version that they put out was, uh, again, it wasn't the actual international cut. It was the, it was a recreation of the 1998 DVD. I, I think, like you know, for me, the perfect example of of why 
it's important to get the you know the exact edits right the exact sound right um there's one particular spot in the film where a train is leaving the station and in the italian cut that shot dissolves to another scene and then we come back to the train in the international cut the train leaves the station and then we cut to inside the train where Tuco is waking up. And in the last few versions of the film that have been put out on home video, there's a piece of music that flows over the train leaving the station, and then the music continues into the scene of Tuco waking up in the train. However, that's, that's not how Leone intended it. When he revisited the film in 1967 for the international version, he wanted the music to end on the scene of the train leaving the station, and then you start a new scene with Tuco waking up, implying that time has passed. If you have the music be continuous across the two scenes, then you think that the scene is continuous, and it doesn't make any sense that Tuco is asleep and he's waking up and he has to pee. Um, it's a minor thing, but it does change the, the context of the way those two scenes connect. And that's the kind of little things that for me, make a big difference. Another quick example is there's a, a flip wipe between two scenes, and it's kind of a comedy device. It's something that you know you would find in, in 60s films, and it's, it's sort of like a it's a way to transition time in sort of a comedic way. And again, that was something that was missing for years that just sort of got lost along the way. But it was always intended to be there in both the Italian and the international cuts. So these these little tweaks especially when you're going from scene to scene. Leone was very meticulous about making sure that when he cut scenes out from the Italian version and reformatted the film to, for the international cut, that these transitions were perfect. So after that, a postscript is that they, they saw my blog post. They saw that I was an obsessed nerd about this film. Uh, they asked for some input. I gave them some notes, you know, Here's what you need to do to sort of bring your international version back in line to put it out on UHD. And uh, they were fairly receptive, although the project stalled. And that's when I we got some great emails from you guys, from Devin and Will, about um, Kino, who would listen to us, who, who would look at the evidence, who would look at our scans, who would look at... Um, all the audio issues and try to do it right. If we're going to go back and put out a UHD, let's just do it right this time. So that's sort of what's coming out in April this year. Yeah. And to kind of um, backtrack to kind of how Will and I got involved with that in the first place, even Will and I uh, have our own kind of I'd say much more DIY. Uh, I guess it's all of ours are DIY, but we're a bit more simple. We have a personal restoration of the film that we had been working on for a while um, that actually started around the time the Mondo was released when we were back in film school together. We went, wow, this Blu-ray um, represents the film way better than the MGM Blu-ray. So we tried to recreate the 1998 DVD cut with the Mondo Blu-ray, which it turns out was patently impossible because uh, so much had been restructured, so much was missing. So we just up and gave up. We kind of uh, let that lie for a good eight years um, until the 2017 Kino came out and we went, okay, let's give this another go. We have better quality 1080p materials. So we ended up um, buying a 
Laserdisc online. I'm going to a local uh, nonprofit which had a Laserdisc player and ripping the audio ourselves and combining that with the 2014 and Mondo releases in our own weird, wacky Frankenstein hybrid to create uh, what we called for a while the Sad Hillcut, a local uh, programmer of of a cinema um, reached out to us asking if we wanted to show our own cut of the film. We did, and that's actually how we met Benji. Um, We showed that in our cinema. And at that point, we came to the attention of a culture writer for the Globe Mail, uh, Caleb Marsh, who wrote an article about us. We can link that in the show notes. And... Kino Lorber uh, contacted us um, asking us for some input on their new version. And that's when we all kind of came together and started collaborating on, you know, making this new Kino release the best it could be. I feel that your news- newspaper article was was critical in bringing awareness to the issues with this film. Uh, with all of us, you know, our small community all working on on this project and having others doing fan edits using available home release uh, elements and then popping up in some reading that article. It was great. I thought, you know, the more the merrier. And in fact, it, uh, it realizing now how much of uh, it, it benefited uh, or actually resulted in us being able to have this contribution in this latest upcoming release. As I said at the top, Devin and I are not as knowledgeable or uh, well-resourced as you two when it comes to this film, and I would never pretend to be. But the newspaper article, if the newspaper article didn't exist and you two hadn't seen the newspaper article, then we wouldn't have gotten in contact with you. And if the team at uh, Keynote had not seen that newspaper article, then they never would have gotten in contact with us allowing us to get in touch with you so that we could collaborate on it and uh, and show the print that was uh, acquired by your team to them. And uh, and I mean, frankly, like you two ended up being far more of the boon of resource uh, to them. It's just so easy for these things to slip away into uh, into obscurity. And that's one thing that a lot of Star Wars people who are uh, advocates for the original cuts of Star Wars are very good at. That community's gotten over the years, especially very good at outreach. Um, Drew's a great example of that, where he's just incredibly good at uh, at advocating strongly for a release, staying positive about it, not allowing his attempts to become toxic while still being outspoken about his issues with the repression of the original cut. It's something that I, I try to, whenever I'm advocating myself, I try my best to model for this stuff. Yeah, I mean, the one approach that... Benji and I and the team always try to to take is it's not about subjectivity. It's not about this is what I think it should be. We always try to show evidence because we had these prints and we could say, this is not my opinion. It's not what I remember from seeing it in the theater, you know, 20 years ago. Here's the evidence. Here's the continuity script. Here's the prints. We got tons of Italian documentation translated. Um, There's a guy named Leonardo Bieler who lives in Italy he grew up with the film, and he was able to trans- translate all this documentation. There really is no, as far as I'm concerned, there's no real debate over what the two versions of the movie were or should be, and it's not a personal affront to the distribution companies that try to put out the film. It's just, here's the evidence, here's scans of the print, it tells the story that you need to know to put it together properly. That, that was our approach. Yeah, going back to the 2017 release, and at the same time, I believe Jordan had done, had done the very important thing, which was to document all of the 
knowledge and information that we had collected over years and had been exchanging back and forth by email or text for all this time, but really not being able to put it in one sort of repository. And so Jordan's blog was that spot. He, he took the time and effort to do so. And that's where the evidence lies. You know, you brought awareness with your newspaper article, but then you could also go to this one website where they break it down for you and provide you with video clips from vintage prints to show you that this is just not speculation or opinion. This is based on evidence. So I think that that was pivotal. And finally, we were heard. Yeah, I, I, I just to echo you saying that uh, Jordan's blog posts were pivotal. That's absolutely true. I think we also need to recognize the, the important roles that others played as well in our small little community. So Jordan mentioned Len Beeler, Beeler who was fantastic in, in the translation of these Italian documents. But there were others as well who helped us in acquiring the prints um, and also provided direct translations of the Italian dialogue. But it takes people to do that. People who you know, are devoting their time and uh, are generous enough to, to, to do something like that for us. And we'd like to see that, uh, you know, we won't name names, but, you know, it's important to recognize those people as well. At least with the international cut, we've seen that through and uh, can say that we've put that baby to bed now because it, it's, it's the one where you actually have the evidence that we needed to, to understand what exactly is the international cut. That's a combination of, vintage 67 Ivy Tech prints alongside the continuity script that Jordan possesses. We, we had a very clear idea of what the international cut was. Uh, however, with the, the Italian cut, that remains to, to be understood. Yeah, we talked about the beginning of this process, you know, seeing the Ivy Tech screening and the end of the process um, coming to, you know, what you think is an accurate representation of the, the international cut, which I also think. What did the middle look like? Uh, I, I'm really curious as to um, how does one track down these prints and how do you corral them into a workable final product using that continuity script? I'm so curious. It really comes down to just stubborn persistence, you know, doing your best. You know, I, I feel like I know what I'm doing when it comes to researching. That's what I do for a day job. And searching the internet and, and connecting with people, you know, even if it's just a shot in the dark and sending an email to someone saying, hey, do you know where we can uh, find, uh, you know, some prints or odd reels, whatever, you know, and just that persistence over time. And I think it, we were lucky. In hindsight, we were lucky to, to find as much as we did. Because typically with these projects, one finds you know, a, a vintage print and that it's a release print. So it's been projected countless times. There's damage, there's splices, etc., etc. So we end up with an incomplete uh, scan and you don't have any way to fill in the gaps unless you use like a home release version such as a Blu-ray. But we were, we, we got lucky. Uh, that's all I can say is that we were able to sort of canvas the, the local, you know, North American continent and we're able to get in touch with people in Germany, in Italy, in Spain. Things will pop up on eBay. It was, it was a fantastic uh, sort of journey that we took, and it, it took years. Yeah, I, I will say something that's pretty amazing is, is as a group, 
based on the Italian documentation of what they have in their archives, which is very specific, the Italians have one theatrical release print from 1966 at their disposal. That's, that's what they have in terms of a reference of what came out in 1966. And we were able, through private collectors and, and that sort of thing, to track down three more. So once you have a baseline of all these prints that were all released at the same time, on the same stock, etc., etc., um, you know you can fill in the gaps of where one print has damage, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you can you can get a real good sense of exactly what's supposed to be there, what was released in '66, and hopefully in the future, if they ever decide to revisit the Italian cut, uh, I, I think our group would be happy to provide them with the same sort of evidence that uh, we did for the international cut. As far as trying to assemble all these different prints. You're essentially working with digital scans, and you are stacking them on a timeline. You know, I think in the end we had four international prints and two German prints, and then the three Italian prints, which we didn't use for the international version because they're two separate uh, entities, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, basically, you line up all the prints on your timeline. Oh, this print has a splice. Okay, where does that splice occur? Does the other print have that shot intact? Great. So you line all that stuff up on a timeline, you compare it to your continuity script, and then as far as the color grading goes, you're trying to stay neutral, you're trying to look at the different prints and see where the differences may lie between, you know, it could depend on they changed the bath of, of green that day, and that's why this print is a little bit uh, more red or blue. Um, and then you look at Benji's notes that he took at the screening in Los Angeles, and using all that information, combining all those sources, looking at the continuity script, you end up with a version that is complete and accurate. So after we assembled this version of all the different prints and everything in sync and everything properly in context, then we were able to provide that to Kino. So they, at least they had a reference that was frame accurate with a reasonable approximation of the color to sort of use as a guide for creating the new UHD. From a color perspective too, um, what they did was they actually took the Retrovada restoration. So if fun, okay, so I, I wanna take this opportunity to talk into how films like are scanned. Um, when a film is scanned, it's scanned flat in extremely high quality, right? You'll have terabytes and terabytes of data. And flat means that it is done in a way that is low contrast, low saturation, so as to maintain maximum possible flexibility. That scan of the good, the bad, and the ugly, I'm pretty sure still exists. But what happened was that what is provided to the various you know, boutique labels, in this case, Kino Lorber, to, um, to use is the post-color-corrected version of this, right? With Retrovada's, um, you know, likely revisionist work done. And what they've had to do is they've had to essentially, in a much more thorough way this time, walk back those changes by using much more complex methods. And I think that for me, the next logical step, if we were to say, if I were to say I'm dreaming of like a perfect release, or not perfect, but like closer to the single singularity, I would say somehow going back to the original scan of that without any color correction applied and then 
doing one from scratch um, sounds like a great way to do it. But um, this new Kino release, I think, is uh, likely we have not seen this. We have not seen just actually full disclosure. None of us have seen this final release. Um, I would love to do a follow up like little bonus episode after with our thoughts. Um, But it's most likely to to be at the very least the next best thing to a complete ground up regrade, which would cost tens of thousands of dollars. In addition to uh, the compilation being used as a reference for their own international cut, I was surprised that that they were going to use our audio as well as the primary track. Mm -hmm. So the team there said, well, are you willing to share your your synced track with us? Sure, there you go. Uh, so it's it is nice to know that uh, two components of our project are have been used uh, for this new Kino release. One, the the compilation being used as a reference, and actually seeing our lossless PCM audio track that's from the Laserdisc from 1993 resynced to this new release is has found its way on this new release. There's two kind of ways I want to wind this down. One is about materials. And one is about the future. Uh, in terms of materials, I wanted to talk about and point out that there are kind of two parallel tracks for the nature of the remaining materials, of the best remaining materials. In one case, there is the original negative, the original prints. I don't know how much of the negative footage um, uh, was scanned uh, for the 2014 4K restoration. I don't know if the footage that they scanned or if the negative footage that they have even includes uh, some of the footage that has been um, missing in uh, Italian releases of the Italian cut. But I think it is safe to say that the best source for scanning original materials, assuming they exist on the negative, will remain the negative, the actual negative print itself. And that's not especially remarkable negatives i mean like film prints don't last forever so there will come a time when archival prints or archives of scans will be the primary uh, means of preservation but it's interesting to me that in contrast to that it may very well be that uh, the audio from the laser discs in the uh, early 90s late 80s but in debt may indefinitely be the best source for those. And I don't know what the best source is for the uh, Italian track. So that's that's worth pointing out. I mean, someday, someday I'll dive into the uh, Italian uh, cut as much as I have the uh, international cut and extended cut. But that is a good example of just how multifaceted and complex these efforts are. The best source for picture is original analog elements. The best source for audio may well be for the English track into the future, a PCM track from uh, an early 90s laser disc. We have, uh, I, I asked about that. Um, I posed that question to the Kino team. Why is it that the MGM V2 mono track, the one that actually had the original Foley effects, and I believe it's the same source that we use for the 2017 Kino release. Why does it sound thin and tinny by comparison to uh, the laser disc PCM? Uh, and the answer we received is that uh, it's possible that the original source elements have been lost and they, they only had access to inferior resources for, for those particular releases. 
And it, that might be the case. If those elements, the original MagTrack sources were to resurface, I'm sure with technology today, you could produce a, a superior a track. I, you know, Benji and I talked about our dream would be we trade them the Italian prints that, you know, we have come across uh, and gathered as a group. We trade them those for access to their archives to see what they have, you know, yeah. just, just to have a look. Uh, maybe I'm uh, maybe tooting our horn too much here, but I feel that at the very least, if you don't have the, the budget to, to go and scan these elements, at least have, uh, you know, an individual who knows what to look for. You know, I, I wonder at times if they're, if they know the, these films as well as we do to be able to, to hone in on a specific um, area of a film like on a particular odd reel. Let's go to this section and have a quick look here because I, I want to know if it includes this segment or not um, in the scene or not, etc. Like that, it, to be able to go and do that would be fantastic. Like that opportunity uh, may increase our knowledge of what's out, still out there that hasn't been discovered. It, 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 for me, it just, I know Jordan... <laughs> Jordan's done. <laughs> He's, he doesn't want to do any more of this stuff, but uh, he needs a break. Uh, I, my inquisitive nature uh, it cannot uh, allow for me to just sort of end it here. I, I must continue to learn more about the Italian cut. I feel that there's, some, there's questions more, more than answers there. There's a book that was published in that Len Beeler had translated on the restoration from 2000 that provides a huge amount of information, but not enough granularity to understand what elements were available or not at the time. Just to wrap it up, I mean, in terms of, if I look back at the five years that Benji and I worked on this off and on, um, what did we accomplish? Well, what we accomplished was to get a version out on home video that Leone authored that is accurate as as to the best of everybody's ability and budget and in the future hopefully that version will perpetuate you know what's happened and what what benji and i objected to over all these years is that when mistakes get made in the previous home video version it perpetuates and the mistake carries over and then a new mistake carries over and then a new mistake carries a new change a new adjustment and so yeah sort of resetting it back to the way it was in 67 hopefully we've reset the reset it back depends what happens with the streaming versions too right mm -hmm. like if the streaming versions never uh never alter to the uh, theatrical then you're going to have um two versions one of which is more widely seen and which more may be more uh immediately referenced for future editions it's it's hard to say Personally, this all just stemmed from a desire and a frustration on my part. It's like, I just want to be able to watch something resembling the international cut. And that was me, you know, that was me and Will like 12 years ago, and here we are today. You know, things, things have grown. And now you can watch it in 4K. You don't have to rely on uh, Laserdisc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, a, it's bittersweet. I feel that, uh, you know, I, we're, we really are sort of ending on a really positive note here. It couldn't have happened without you guys either. I mean, thank you so much for everything you did, oh, especially, yeah. you know, getting us in touch with Blake and, and passing the ball that way. That was a huge... Well, I, I know you for you, it's a small thing, but for us to say, like, oh, all this, like, 
nitpicking and obsessing about this <laughs> is actually going to pay off with a real release. I mean, it's yeah. so you open mm-hmm. that door. So I really do appreciate that. You know, I recognize that we're not exactly providing a print or anything, but it is crazy to think that we're like this little tiny piece of the films, uh, of the history of the films. No, I mean, even we successfully like, shoehorned ourselves in. <laughs> I, I see us as a team of four. I, I do now, you know, for many years, it was just Jordan and I. But it's something about when I saw at National Post, when I saw that, you know, I, I just, I thought, you know, this, this is only good. This is only a good thing for us. Didn't ever, ever anticipate that it would actually unfold the way it did, that we actually had a meaningful contribution. But, you know, that was huge. Especially as, uh, you know, four Canadians. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, that's four it. Canadians helping out on a movie made in, uh, by an Italian in Spain about uh, an American story. Yeah. <laughs> now being released by a, by a German U.S. distributor. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's all. Our associate producer is Paige Smith. If you like this episode, please rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can help keep this going at patreon.com slash filmformally, and you can find us on social media on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at filmformally. We'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the unceded territory of the indigenous nations of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. That's it.